0: We are going to continue our journey into Joshua, but before we move into that, I want to set things up. So in 1999, one of the coolest movies came out, especially for a kid my age at the time being in an IMAX theater. And that movie was Star Wars: The Phantom Menace, episode 1. It was something that I loved a lot. And I know it's controversial for those of you who are Star Wars nerds, but what there was a quote that came out of that movie that you may have even heard of without even have watched the movie. And this is the quote, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering. Now, this comes out of the voice of a little puppet, or I think it was a puppet at that time, maybe they digitized him by then, little Yoda who speaks this phrase. The reason I bring it up is because there's a profound truth that comes out of that. And I wanna illustrate that so you can understand why we're going to be looking at this idea of fear and how it plays into the life of the church so let's back up two years 2020 we have the coronavirus spread out onto the global scene and about three months into that we started seeing a lot of controversy come up around that and we saw it especially within the church and looking back over the last two years i couldn't help but notice just several veins of fear that was driving society and they were often polarized against each other. So, you would have a fear that could often lead people because of the disease and the way it operates, a fear of death that could happen because of that, and it would lead people sometimes to, to react in a strong way because of that. But then on the other side there was fear of societal change, there was fear of freedoms being curbed. That also led to certain ways in how people acted. And what you saw often was those two fears clashing into each other again and again. And I remember this, this phrase, it even came out of, out of me at one point. When looking at the, a person who thought differently, there would just be kind of this question mark, you know, raised eyebrow, like, how could this person think this way? And you see this fear developing, and all of a sudden it leads to what? It leads to anger. There was a lot of anger that's happened in the last two years. And that anger would even lead to hate. And that hate would lead to suffering. Let me give I I go to a seminary, um, almost done actually. Next semester is my last semester. And so I heard just different accounts of the church and how they were walking through this. And it was amazing how this one issue would lead to people to end relationships that had lasted for like a decade, all because of this. And so it was interesting to look at that and be like, what? What is really going on underneath the surface? And especially now that we've been two years in, in, in going, we need to wake up to what's really going on. And, and the reality is, is that's just one issue. When you look across the board of relationships within the church, I believe that there are cracks of fear that arise up between relationships that we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ, within our families, within our marriages, that fear often can be what's leading us rather than Jesus. You see, we're going to be entering into the next major section of Joshua. And we've watched as God has led the people of Israel. He prepared them to enter the promised land. And we see that in chapters 1 through 5, this preparation that happens. And then we see that preparation lead into war. And God led them faithfully through war. We see victory come out of that. And then there, last week, we covered a huge section of chapters. And it was to look at how God allotted the land to Israel so that they could live devoted to him in the land and be this reflection to the surrounding nations. And now we're coming to the last part, and that is rest. This idea of rest being the gods, of God's people enjoying God together in unity. Unity, rest, is a powerful tool for the kingdom of God. And one of the strongest weapons that Satan can bring against that rest is fear. And so fear often can be something that keeps us from being the family that we're called to be, from living in rest. And so you will never find rest in God if fear is driving your life. And so my challenge for us today as a church is to let's seal the cracks of fear together. Let's pray. God in heaven, we need your help right now, especially as we look at ourselves as a family, as we see that mirrored in the family of Israel as they were following you, Jesus. We just ask that through your word, would you reveal where maybe there's cracks of fear in our life that's beginning to lead us and drive us, rather than your spirit, rather than you, Jesus. And so I pray by the power of your name, reveal that to us now. Reveal that to us this afternoon and help us to walk in in a response of victory through the power of your spirit. We pray this in your name. Amen. So we're going to look at Joshua chapter And we're going to take a section of the chapter at a time. We're going to break it into three sections as we walk through it. So turn with me to Joshua 22. We're going to first read verses 1 through 8. It says this, At that time Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days, down to this day, but have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers, as he promised them. Therefore turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan." Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God, and to walk in all his ways, and to keep his commandments, and to cling to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. Now, to the one half of the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan. But to the other half, Joshua had given a possession beside their brothers in the land west of the Jordan. And when Joshua sent them away to their homes and blessed them, he said to them, go back to your tents with much wealth and with very much livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, and iron, and with much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brothers. So this is setting the scene right now. The war is ended. The land has been divided, and now they get to be in rest. So we get a picture of this, and if we back up in Joshua 21, looking at verse 44, it says, And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. As we look at this, this is a big picture of Israel in relation to their enemies. But if, if we look at the last few chapters, there was still a lot of work to be done. Israel was called to go in and and still work the land, and and not only just finish claiming the land, but also the relationships that they're supposed to have. These aren't just 12 tribes that are separated. They're a family, and they're going to have to work at maintaining that relationship within each other, but also their relationship with God. Again, going back to this idea of what rest is. God's people enjoying God together in unity. God has given them many good things, and they're called to enjoy it. And we need to see this relational base to what rest looks like. So if you look at Hebrews 4.11, Hebrews chapter 4 is a great chapter to read because it's reflecting in the New Testament on these stories that are happening in Joshua. And in Hebrews 4.11, it says, "...let us therefore strive to enter rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience." So this is, the reality is when we sin, when we rebel against God, when we put ourselves in that position of authority rather than God, it breaks that rest that we can have with God and thus with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so there's this command in Hebrew saying, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Meaning we gotta put work in for that rest to actually happen. And so then, What does Satan do? We mentioned this a little bit earlier. Satan will do whatever he can to disrupt that rest. And fear is a means of doing that. Fear is a powerful emotion. Fear in and of itself isn't bad, right? Like if you're fearing a bear in the Alaska wilderness, it's probably a good thing. Helps you keep safe. Helps you not do something stupid where your life could end. Yet at the same time, if fear begins to rule your life and you decide to never step out of your home or walk on a trail ever in Alaska, you're going to end up being in the house a long time and it's not going to end well for your your emotional state in life. That's fear ruling rather than than it being in its healthy place. And that's why when we look at Proverbs 1, 7, we have um, this, this verse that says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge fools despise wisdom and instruction. And when fear is leading, whatever the object of our fear is, that's what controls our life. And so no wonder that it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because when God is the object of our life, then all the other things that we could be in fear of that could be leading our lives fall away. So we set that to establish kind of what this rest looks like. But this rest also unfolds through unity. We see this in these first few verses in chapter 22. First of all, there's unity of leadership. You see, what's happening in this scene is we've got these western tribes on one side of the Jordan River, and then we've got these eastern tribes on the other side. And whenever you got some distinguishing factor like that, it can be easy for division to begin to occur. So we need to understand, okay, west versus east may happen. But for right now, They're unified. They've followed the commands of Moses, and they've seen the wealth that has come out of that. And not only just following Moses, but they've also followed Joshua, men who are pursuing Jesus. So they have unity in leadership. Not only do they have that, but they have unity in brotherhood. Brothers, the word, is mentioned 11 times throughout the book of Joshua. And it's mentioned in these eight verses four out of those 11 times. Why is that? because it gives that deep sense of family, that deep sense of brotherhood that these tribes have for one another. They're unified together. They have a common Lord. They got the point. It's beautiful. It's sweet. And they're finding rest in it. And then, greatest of all, where does this unity lead? It is unity in the Lord. To maintain rest in the unity under leadership, to maintain rest In unity as a brotherhood, they have to have unity in the Lord. So, as these Eastern tribes are going back to their land, we're given these specifics that Joshua says. What is that? Love the Lord your God, walk in all his ways, and keep all his commandments. Cling to him. I love that word. That's, the, that's where rest is found, is when we are clinging to the Lord, holding on to him tightly, not letting go. And so he says, cling to him and serve him with all your heart, with all your soul. So everything that you are is supposed to be centered on who God is. Everything that you are is supposed to be centered on who God is. The unity of the Lord enabled them to be unified under a common leadership and unified in being a family together. And so what does the Lord do for them in this unity? Well, he prepared them through relationship. He fought for them in war. He led them into the land. And now he's bringing them rest. It's a sweet place. And there are moments where we experience that as a church, too, where things are thriving. You see, here at Radiant Church, we, um, for a long time, have said that our gospel communities are our primary organizing structure, that they're, they're more than just a small group. It's the way we live as the church throughout the week. And when gospel communities are, are going well, it makes our time on Sundays go well. And there's this beautiful uh, Christ-centered praise that happens. God calls churches to raise up elders. We just did that a couple of Sundays ago, and it was super sweet And the elder that we raised up is is a godly man that we want to see demonstrate and lead us towards Jesus. It's awesome. We're also called family because Jesus shed his blood for us. That's what unites us. Our most compelling reason to gather. We're coming from all sorts of different backgrounds. I can almost guarantee you a lot of us in this room would not be hanging out together except for the fact that the love of Jesus has changed our life. Right? It's powerful. That's why in Ephesians 4, 1-3, it says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, this is Paul speaking, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's where you find rest. And what that verse describes, that's where you find rest. And when the church functions that way, it becomes this unstoppable force moving the gospel forward in a broken and fallen world. So that's what the unity looks like. Now we're going to look at what happens when cracks of fear begin to appear. So we're going to read through the, most of the rest of this chapter. Chapter 9 through 29. It's going to be 20 verses. And this is what I want to encourage you to do. There's going to be a lot of names but be listening for where are the cracks of fear that begin to appear within the family of Israel. So in 22, starting in verse 9. So the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, this is Israel east, returned home, parting from the people of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the land of Gilead, their own land, of which they had possessed themselves by command of the Lord through Moses. And when they came to the region of the Jordan that is in the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size. And the people of Israel heard it. And they said, Behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built the altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region about the Jordan on the side that belongs to the people of Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. Then the people of Israel sent to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh and the land of Gilead Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, and with him ten chiefs, one from each of the tribal families of Israel, every one of them the head of a family among the clans of Israel." And they came to the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and the land of Gilead. And they said to them, thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, what is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel in turning away this day from following the Lord by building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord? Have we not had enough of sin at Peor, from which even yet we have not cleansed ourselves, and for which there came a plague upon the congregation of the Lord? that you too must turn away this day from following the Lord? And if you too rebel against the Lord today, then tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. But now, if the land of your possession is unclean, pass over into the Lord's land, where the Lord's tabernacle stands, and take for yourselves a possession among us. Only do not rebel against the Lord or make us as rebels by building for yourselves an altar other than the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, break faith in the matter of devoted things, and wrath fell upon all the congregation of Israel? And he did not perish alone for his iniquity. Then the people of Reuben, people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, said in answer to the heads of the families of Israel, The mighty one, God the Lord, the mighty one, God the Lord, he knows, and let Israel itself know, if it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against the Lord, do not spare us today. For building an altar to turn away from following the Lord. Or if we did so to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings on it. May the Lord himself take vengeance. No, but we did it from fear that in time to come your children might say to our children, what have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you, you people of Reuben and people of Gad. You have no portion in the Lord. So your children might make our children cease to worship the Lord. Therefore, we said, let us now build an altar, not not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you and between our generations after us, that we do not perform the service of the Lord in his presence with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings. So your children will not say to our children in the time to come, you have no portion in the Lord. And we thought if this should be said to us, To our descendants in time to come, we should say, Behold, the copy of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn away this day from following the Lord by building an altar for burnt offerings, grain offerings, or sacrifice, other than the altar of the Lord our God that stands before his tabernacle. All right, that's a lot of mouthful. So let me give you the highlights. The eastern tribe is headed back to their land over across the river, western part staying in their land, but then they get this word. These tribes went and they built this altar. You see, there was supposed to only be one area that they were offering sacrifices to God. They were supposed to be unified in that, and then they hear, oh man, these guys are building an altar over there. They must be doing it to worship some other gods, or they're not worshiping along with us. They're dividing themselves from us, and so they prepare for war. So there's a fear that leads to war. Think about it. They worried, if you look at verse 16, that these tribes had turned against the Lord. That they were bringing God's anger against the brotherhood and family. You see, they'd seen what happened when Israel had turned against God in the past. That's what it's referring to when it uses the word peor. It refers to a story in Numbers 25 where Israel had worshipped another god and God let them experience his wrath because of that. Or even in Joshua 7, there's this dude named Achan and he went against God and that brought God's anger against all the family of Israel. So they're like, we do not want that to happen again. But notice what's happening. They're making this assumption about their family. They're making this assumption that they're going off and worshipping another god and it's oriented them to the point where they are gathering together to wipe them out because of an assumption. Not because God told them, not because they were seeking after God, but because they took matters into their own hands. Why? Because fear was leading them. And so they let that fear drive them to the point where they were going to make war on their family. They assume the worst and began to handle it on their own terms, through their own intellect, and by their own strength. They reacted in fear. We go to war all the time because of our fears. And especially in our American culture, the way this happens often is um, more in our minds and behind others' backs where we're so frustrated by someone or we're fearing what they may think of us or we're fearing what they're doing that we begin creating this narrative within our he- in our head that might actually not reflect reality. Or we begin talking to other people behind that person's back and talking about our frustrations and talking about our fears to them rather than actually talking to our brother or sister in Christ. We can accuse others without deeply considering their heart Instead, we assume their motives. And we don't care about the Lord, but first we're caring about our own opinion, our own point of view, and our own judgment. And so very quickly, fear then begins to lead us into a very bad place where we begin gearing up for war. And we're tearing down rather than seeking to build up. And I want you to notice in this narrative of these Western tribes and how they're viewing these other guys is the weapon that they're using is self-righteousness and pride. They're like, man, they're screwing up. They're going against God, and so we got to make it right. And how often do we do that? Where we can even use something good, like they, being concerned about sin, being concerned about God, worship, about their family worshiping God, those are all really good, but how they're going about it is terribly wrong, and it's leading to a place of war. But this isn't the only kind of fear that we're seeing happen. There's this fear that leads to war, but then there's this fear that leads to self-protection. Building protective walls because of fear. So if you go all the way back to to verse verse 9 and 10, we get this kind of unassuming verse. Where it talks about these eastern tribes and they're creating an altar of large size. And it kind of goes into the narrative. They never communicate to their family about what's going on. Have you ever thought about that? It's a simple thing. It doesn't happen. And what happens as a result? What would have happened if they would have gone to him and saying, hey, we got this idea. We're afraid of what may happen in in the future. So we thought, hey, maybe this altar can serve as just this, like, sign, this testimony that we're unified behind worshiping God. But instead of communicating, they just go and do it on their own. (laughs) Why is that? What's the fear that is driving them? Their fear is is that later on down the line the western tribes kids are going to say hey you guys across the jordan you have nothing to do with us anymore and we're going to keep you at arm's length and the division's going to be created. They assumed the worst of generations to come. We see that in verse 24. And there's this phrase that's used twice. They're afraid that this division will happen and one side's going to say you have no portion of the Lord. So they gave up the security of rest and instead gave in to the insecurity of fear. Okay, And this is something I've struggled with personally, where we're afraid of what could happen in the future, and so we react out of fear, and we, try, we trust ourselves with our own self-protection rather than trusting Jesus. Look at Psalm 127.2 with me. In our prayer time before, before the, the gathering, we gather at 3 p.m. to prayer, pray, and we prayed out of this psalm, Psalm 127. In verse 2, it says, it is in vain that you rise up early and go to late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. So... It's describing this person who is just anxiously striving, getting up early in the morning, staying up late, thinking, hey, by my own strength, by my own power, I can set up my way of life. And yet all it's creating is this anxious toil that's like this bitter bread that they're consuming. And so this happens so easily to us as well, where we let anxious toil be what infuses us, this crack within our own heart of fear. And it leads to a lot of passive aggressiveness where we're like, you know what? I'm not going to have that conversation with that person. It's probably going to create more problems than good. And the conversation never happens. Or you slowly start to distance yourself from your family, even within the church. Why? Because you're afraid of what the other person may think about you if you're open and honest. And, and what does vulnerability do? when we're vulnerable with people and we start talking to them, it opens you up. What, and, and those questions start getting lodged in your head of, what will ha- happen if I'm vulnerable in this moment? Because maybe you've received backlash in the past because you were willing to be vulnerable, and you're afraid that may happen again. I had a friend of mine share this profound idea to me earlier this week. He discussed how we try to compensate for our insufficiencies rather Than letting Christ work through our weaknesses. Let me say this again. It's been running through my mind all week. He discussed how we try to compensate for our insufficiencies on our own rather than letting Christ work through our weaknesses. Okay? So, when we give in to this kind of fear, we begin to run away instead of committing to our family. So then, what does it look like to seal the cracks of fear? When those cracks begin to happen in our life, or maybe they begin to become this wide chasm that begins dividing us within our minds and sometimes within our own family, How, what do we do? How do we make it right? That's the last four verses of chapter 22 that we're going to read. So 22, starting in uh, verse 30. When Phineas the priest and the chiefs of the congregation, the heads of the families of Israel who were with him, heard the words that the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh spoke, it was good in their eyes. And Phineas the son of Eleazar the priest said to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh, today we know that the Lord is in our midst because you have not committed this breach of faith against the Lord. Now you have delivered the people of Israel from the hand of the Lord. Then Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest and the chiefs, returned from the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan to the people of Israel and brought back word to them. And the report was good in the eyes of the people of Israel. And the people of Israel blessed God and spoke no more of making war against them to destroy the land where the people of Reuben and the people of Gad were settled. The people of Reuben and the people of Gad called the altar witness, for they said, "It is a witness between us that the Lord is God." So, what does it look like to seal the cracks of fear? First of all, cast your cares on Jesus. Notice one of the primary characters in this is a priest. His name's Phineas. He's the son of the high priest Eleazar. And this is so key. Whenever you're reading the Old Testament and you see things like this, it's an image anticipating Christ and what he was going to do when he came. That he was going to serve as this priest, as this go-between, because humanity stood Opposed to God, there was a giant rift between us and God because of our sin, and Jesus was the one who could bring that together. And so we see this priest bringing unity between the tribes of Israel, and so likewise, when we look at Jesus, we see him bringing unity between us and God. This is why Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When fear begins to drive you, turn to the great high priest. And and this is the thing I want to encourage you in is sometimes we, we use those phrases like, go to Jesus or lay your burdens before Jesus. And then you have to ask the question, what the heck does that even mean? What it means is that when you can go to conversation with God, you need to unload everything that's actually in your heart. Have you ever had real and honest prayer with God where you just let go where you're saying everything that's going, trust me, he knows what's going on in your heart. So to be able to speak it out loud, what it does is you're actually recognizing what's going on in your heart and you're laying it out before him and saying, here is all my junk. I can't deal with it on my own and I need you to come and relieve me, God. I need you to take the burden of these fears and take it off my shoulders because I'm not enough. You cast your cares at the feet of Jesus because he's the only one who can handle it. But not only do we see this, we see that listening happens. This is another way to seal fear. You see, the Western tribe, they were gathering for war. But what did they do instead of just automatically going and going to war against their family? They send the priests, and they send representatives to go and hear them out, to go and see what's actually happening. And sometimes that's what we need to do. Sometimes we're going to war in our minds, or we're talking behind other people's backs, Without actually hearing the person and understanding what's really going on in their hearts, why that's going on. I mean, think about it in your, in your workplace, in your marriage, in your family, how easy it is to just go right to assumption rather than actually kind of going forward and being like, what's really going on? And, and maybe you need a third person to be there, kind of like the priest or these representatives to be like, I'm having a hard time really understanding this. Can you help me understand? And I started off with that COVID analogy because you know what happened also during COVID? Man, there were these beautiful moments where people with very different views on what was happening still hung out together, still figured things out, and it was so beautiful. Rest was able to happen in the midst of controversy. And how beautiful was, was that? And often it was because listening happened. Yeah, maybe not mean that you agree in the end, but they're willing to hear the other person and hear their heart. Listening is so key. Look at how Jesus listens throughout the Gospels. If you want just something to look at if you're reading through John or Matthew, listen to that. Listening well. And then the last thing for sealing up cracks of fear is putting the Lord in the highest place instead of yourself. And this is what's so beautiful at the end of these last few verses. We see a couple of things. First, in verse 33, there's even this term of blessing God. Man, how awesome it is when we are unified together, we're in, <laughs> we're in love with each other as the church, and we're able to bless God because of it. And then in verse 31, it says, today we know the Lord is in our midst. Why? Because unity is able to happen. Rest is able to occur. Verse 34, they're talking about this altar that was made that became the center of controversy It is a witness between us that the Lord is God. So the very thing that caused disruption, war, fear, now becomes something that's good and right and something they can look back on. And this is the thing I want to encourage you with. When you put the Lord at the center, you're able to see reconciliation happen. You're able to seal up the cracks of fear. It becomes a memorial relationally to look back on and see the power of God at work. And it takes effort. It takes effort, it takes striving to see rest happen within the family and our relationship with God, but when it's done right, how beautiful is that? There's this verse, Philippians 4, 6-7. I memorized it when I, was, when I was a young lad and it said this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now I remember like Quoting that verse, and times when I've been super anxious, I'm like crying this out and wondering, like, God, just take the anxiety away. I'm trying to give it to you. Why isn't this working? And I think sometimes it's because I haven't actually gotten to the point where I put the Lord in the highest place in my life. If you back up just a couple of verses in Philippians, in verse uh, chapter four, verse four, it says, "Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at." Lord is at hand. Sometimes I don't have that recognition going on in my heart. And when you don't have that going on, yeah, you're going to have anxiety. Yeah, you're going to have fear ruling your life. Yeah, you're going to have this separation happen. The Lord has to be at hand in your heart. He has to be Lord, not you. The tension that fear can bring dissolves. It can be dissolved. That's what we see happen within the story, and it's so beautiful. And again, what was meant for war and the source of conflict now becomes a place of hope and unity and rest for generations to come. Jesus can do the same through our conflicts. He's that great high priest. We can find rest from our fears. We can seal cracks of fear today. So where are those cracks of fear in your life? And this is where I want to encourage you. If you want to walk away figuring that out, what's driving you? What are those fear points? List them out. Get alone with God. Spend an hour crying out to him. Try journaling. Try writing those things down and being like, you know what? I'm seeing all these other things. You know, Going back to that quote at the beginning about how even anger, hate, and suffering can all come from a root of fear that's driving you. And sometimes it takes getting alone with God for, I would encourage, at least an hour and be dumping it out. Spending time, like, really crying out to them. Even yelling out. Just figuring out, like, God, what is going on in my heart? What's keeping me between myself and you and from my brothers and sisters in Christ? List them out. Ask good questions. If you're in um, a situation where fears cause a divide between you and someone else... Man, ask good questions. Have maybe someone else come alongside with you and figure that out. But if it's a situational thing, something that just has to do with you, sometimes it's just asking good questions. Why do I feel this way? Why have I been motivated for so long because of fear? Or, or, and keep asking questions, bringing them before the Lord. And this is what I want to end on. And it's a, it's a quote from a professor of mine. He's absolutely amazing. Love the dude. His name's Doug Ponder, and he said this. What keeps you up at night never takes Jesus off his throne. What keeps you up at night never takes Jesus off his throne. So let's run to Jesus and seal those cracks of fear. Let's be a family together following Jesus. Let's pray. God in heaven, we, we want to come before you. Um, man, God, fear can be such a powerful weapon that can bring dissension, destruction, destruction anger, hate, suffering, all these things, Jesus, but you are greater. You are more powerful. And when you're Lord of our life, you can seal those cracks of fear so that they aren't what's running our life. God, help us to fear you instead. Help us to lift you back up to that position where you're Lord of our life when we get our eyes off focus. God, help us to be a family when fear begins running cracks that divide us. Help us to be like this family of Israel that worked through it, they figured it out, and they strove and they were able to enter and rest with each other through relationship because they worked at it. So God, I just pray that where there's fear in our relationships, God, would you bring that soothing balm of peace. God, would you bring us to that place of rest? Would you bring us back to that place of worship where you're the center? So God, I just pray where that needs to happen, God, give us the courage to do it, just like you gave courage to Joshua, just like you gave courage to the people of Israel. God, we can see the the things that once caused fear become a memorial of peace. We pray that for our church here at Radium. In your name we pray, amen.